TOB number four, general audience of September 26, 1979. When Christ responds to the question about the unity and indissolubility of marriage, he appeals to the words of Genesis about the subject of marriage. In the two foregoing reflections, we analyze both the so-called Eloist text, Genesis 1, and the Yahwist text, Genesis 2. Today, we want to draw some conclusions from these analyses. When Christ appeals to the beginning, he asks his interlocutors to go in some way beyond the boundary running in Genesis between the state of original innocence and the state of sinfulness that began with the original fall. Symbolically, this boundary can be linked with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which delimits two diametrically opposed situations in the Yahweh's text the situation of original innocence and that of original sin. These situations have their own dimension in man, in his innermost being, knowledge, consciousness, conscience, choice, and decision, and all of this in a relationship with God, the Creator, who in the Yahweh's text, Genesis 2 and 3, is at the same time the God of the covenant, of the most ancient covenant of the Creator with his creature, that is, with man. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as an expression and symbol of the covenant with God broken in man's heart, marks out two diametrically opposed situations and sets them against each other, that of original innocence and that of original sin, together with man's hereditary sinfulness driving from it. Yet Christ's words, which appeal to the beginning, allow us to find an essential continuity in man in a link between these two different states or dimensions of the human being. The state of sin is part of historical man, of the human beings about whom we read in Matthew 19, that is, of Christ's interlocutors then, as well as of every other potential or actual interlocutor at all times of history, and thus, of course, also of man today. Yet in every man without exception, this state, the historical state, plunges its roots deeply into his theological prehistory, which is the state of original innocence. It is not a question of mere dialectic. The laws of knowing correspond to those of being. It is impossible to understand the state of historical sinfulness without referring or appealing to the state of original, and in some sense prehistoric, and fundamental innocence, and in fact Christ appeals to it. The emergence of sinfulness as a state, as a dimension of human existence, has thus from the beginning been linked with man's real innocence as an original and fundamental state, as a dimension of being created in the image of God. And this point applies not only to the case of the first man, male and female, as dramatis personae and protagonists of the events described in the Yahweh's text of Genesis 2 and 3, but also the, to the entire historical course of human existence. Thus, historical man is rooted, so to speak, in his revealed theological prehistory. And for this reason, every point of his historical sinfulness must be explained, both in the case of the soul and of the body, with reference to original innocence. One can say that this reference is a co-inheritance of sin, and precisely of original sin, while in every historical man, this sin signifies a state of lost grace, it also carries with 
itself a reference to that grace, which was precisely the grace of original innocence. When Christ, according to Matthew 19, appeals to the beginning, he does not point only to the state of original innocence as a lost horizon of man's existence and history, to the words that he speaks with his own lips. We have the right to attribute at the same time the whole eloquence of the mystery of redemption. In fact, already in the context of the same Yahweh's text of Genesis 2 and 3, we witness the moment in which man, male and female, after having broken the original covenant with his creator, receives the first promise of redemption in the words of the so-called Proto-Evangelium in Genesis 3.15, and begins to live in the theological perspective of redemption. Thus, historical man, both Christ's interlocutors then, about whom Matthew 19 speaks, and human beings today, participates in this perspective. He participates not only in the history of human sinfulness as a hereditary and at the same time personal and unrepeatable subject of this history, but he also participates in the history of salvation, here too as its subject and co-creator. He is thus not merely shut out from original innocence due to his sinfulness, but also at the same time open to the mystery of the redemption realized in Christ and through Christ. Paul, the author of the letter to the Romans, expresses this perspective of redemption in which historical man lives when he writes, We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for the redemption of our bodies. Romans 8.23 We cannot forget this perspective as we follow the words of Christ, who in his dialogue on the indissolubility of marriage appeals to the beginning. In that beginning indicated only if that beginning indicated only the creation of man as male and female, if, as we already mentioned, Christ only led his interlocutors across the boundary of man's state of sin to original innocence, and did not open at the same time the perspective of a redemption of the body, his answer would not at all be understood adequately. Precisely this perspective of the redemption of the body guarantees the continuity and the unity between man's hereditary state of sin and his original innocence. Although within history this innocence has been irremediably lost by him, it is also evident that Christ, most of all, has the right to answer the question presented to him by the teachers of the law and of the covenant. As we read in Matthew 19 and Mark 10, in the perspective of the redemption on which the covenant itself rests. When in the context of the theology of bodily man, substantially delineated, de delineated in this way, we reflect about the method of further analysis of the revelation of the beginning, in which the appeal to the first chapters of Genesis is essential. We must immediately turn our attention to a factor that is particularly important for theological interpretation, important because it consists in the relation between revelation and experience. In the inter interpretation of the revelation about man, and above all about the body, we must, for understandable reasons, appeal to experience, because bodily man is perceived by us above all in experience. In the light of the fundamental considerations just mentioned, we have every right to be convinced that this historical experience of ours 
must in some way stop at the threshold of man's original innocence, because it remains inadequate to it. Yet in the light of the same introductory considerations, we must reach the conviction that in this case, our human experience is in some way a legitimate means for theological interpretation, and that in a certain sense, it is an indispensable point of reference to which we must appeal in the interpretation of the beginning. A more detailed analysis of the text will allow us to have a clear view of it. It seems that the words of Romans chapter 8, verse 23, just quoted, best express the direction of our research centered on the revelation of that beginning to which Christ appealed in his dialogue about the indissolubility of marriage, Matthew 19, Mark 10. All our further analysis, also based on the first chapters of Genesis, will almost necessarily reflect the truth of the Pauline words. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for the redemption of our bodies. If we place ourselves in this position, so profoundly in harmony with experience, the beginning must speak to us with the great wealth of light that comes from revelation, to which, above all, theology desires to respond. The continuation of the analysis will explain for us why and in what sense this must be a theology of the body.